Hi, and welcome to Ready, Set, Give. I'm your BDI host, Kat, and we are a podcast on all things nonprofit fundraising and marketing. Today, we have part two of a really exciting episode with BDI's creative content manager, Anna Coons. We will be picking up right where we left off in part one, getting in the weeds, talking about nonprofit creative mandatories and how you can use these mandatories to boost your fundraising results. All right, let's dive in. And we're back with Anna. We've been talking about different levels of copy mandatories, brand guidelines, I guess you could say, that nonprofits have. Just a quick recap, we talked about a couple important questions that Anna asks when she starts to work with a nonprofit to talk through their mandatories. Questions like how they talk about the people they serve, how should BDI talk about the services they provide, how to talk about their donors, the type of gifts that their donors give, the type of language that they use when they ask their donors to give, things like that. A couple times you mentioned just this healthy tension between a nonprofit who wants to communicate their brand in a certain way and wants to talk to their donors in a certain way, but that might not always align with the results that come back on their appeals. So can you um, just talk a little bit about that in-between world you live in yeah. that's really between representing the nonprofit's voice and seeing um, their results and what plays out well in their campaigns? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a few areas where we see this tension come up a lot that I'll talk about. One is the area of urgency. So BDI, like a lot of marketing agencies, really recognizes that urgency tends to do really well in appeals. And so we'll say things like last chance or rush, emergency, and that's kind of with the understanding that we are talking about urgent issues. We're talking about hungry people. We're talking about people who have nowhere to sleep tonight. That's true for most of the nonprofits we work with. These are urgent situations. Lives are at stake. We really believe that. Sometimes some of our nonprofits will push up against that because they'll say, well, this is, you know, it's August. We don't actually have people like banging at our doors and mm -hmm. we're not completely full. We're not out of beds. And so, of course, we will never say anything that's not true of the mission. So we'll always try to make sure we're representing the mission well. But we will always push for a nonprofit to let us communicate that the need is great and the time to help is now. Yeah. And of course, we'll make the changes that they want us to make. But especially on something like an outer envelope, Sometimes we want a message that makes a donor look at that envelope and feel like they need to open it. And again, that's the type of work our nonprofits are doing is urgent work. Even if it's not, you know, at that specific day or week at the mission, we'll tone down the urgency if a nonprofit really doesn't feel like it's the time for that or the season for that. On the other hand, we've had, we actually had a client come to us this year and say, we are not making our budget goals. And so everything feels urgent to us. So yeah. could you actually add urgency language throughout every appeal you mail for us? Because I think wow. they're feeling the pressure. They're seeing, you know, homelessness is on the rise in their area. And we're always 
really happy to accommodate those requests because they're true to what's happening in the area and we know those will will do really well with results. Yeah. Another tension we sometimes have is BDI always will recommend donor-centric language. And that means that we're trying to make the donor feel as connected as they can be to the work the mission is doing, which sometimes means this is going to sound bad, but we're kind of cutting out the mission as the middleman. We're trying yeah. to connect the donor's dollar directly to the person being fed. And so sometimes an organization will really want to emphasize their programs and exactly how something works. You know, when somebody walks into our door, they're greeted by, you know, a guidance counselor, or they really want to talk about exactly how it works because they're proud of what they're doing and it's amazing work. And we, as their agency, are also proud of them. And and we really want to highlight their services, but we also speak to donors in a way that makes the donor feel like their gift is going straight to that hungry mom on the street. Yeah. So a lot of times that means something like changing a sentence from our organization will use your gift towards food to something like your gift will feed hungry families. Mm -hmm. BDI will always use that latter language when we're talking to donors. And a huge reason for that is this language has proven over and over and over again to engage more donors. It raises more money and it helps more people. We try to be sensitive to our organizations that really want to emphasize their programs and what they're doing because a lot of them are doing super unique work for their area. Maybe there's, you know, 10 organizations that are doing things one way and they're the only one that are doing this whole different approach. So we will we will talk about that, but we're also trying to connect the donor directly to hurting people. Yeah. Another nuance of this kind of donor-centric language is BDI will often use phrases like, your gift changes lives. And some of our nonprofit clients really value communicating that it's actually God that heals and changes lives. So they don't even want to talk about themselves as transforming lives. Mm. And they definitely don't want to talk about donors' money transforming lives. They always, it's really important to them for us to make it clear that they believe that God is the ultimate healer and transformer. So we definitely try to be sensitive to that too, while also still making the donor feel connected to what's happening at yeah. the organization. Yeah, you were reminding me years, years and years ago before I knew anything about fundraising, I used to donate to, I'm not going to name the name, but like a compassion, like an international yeah. service organization for children, right? And I remember finding out after I had been donating to them for so long, never thought about where my money was going specifically, that Instead of sponsoring a child, like, you know, you get the photo yes. of the kid and the letter and the, all that, like yes. the magnet. Instead of sponsoring the child, your money is divided up among the whole village, which makes sense because yes. then they're not favoring like a specific child over ones that may not have been like, quote unquote, adopted or sponsored, yes. right? Yes. But I was so weirded out like I felt so lied to about mm. it even though I understood the reason behind it of like what but I feel like that was so long ago and now organizations are so different in that they're really open yeah yeah that's true 
Yeah, I think that that example is so interesting because it's something that you can picture the campaign for sponsoring a child. It's so compelling. It's so real. It's so tangible. Yeah. But like you said, if you picture if that is literally exactly what's happening, if you work through all the details of how that would work, if they just yes. only only gave money to the children that were chosen in this sponsorship program and ignored the rest of the children, nobody wants that. No. So it's like the organization is always, hopefully, using the money in the way that they see it best to be used. And it is it's it is a challenge to figure out and, and ask for donors that feels really authentic, like, so the donor doesn't feel betrayed yeah, like yeah. you did, like authentic, but also compelling. Because if the ask of this organization was, you know, send money to a village and we'll spread it out equally among them, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't grab your attention yes. when you're sifting through your mail. I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, I feel like our client service team here would have a ton to say about oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, it's hard, but I do think now, especially with the internet and everyone having access to social media and like behind the scenes at organizations more and behind the scenes of people who are hurting, things like that. It's I feel like it's challenged nonprofits and fundraising agencies to be more transparent. Yeah. In the way we talk about where the money is going, how it's being used, things like that. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. But anyways, that is a whole other conversation. (laughs) All right. So let's get back into your mandatories. Let's talk about grammar. Oh, grammar. (laughs) Do you like grammar? Are you a grammar nerd? I I have a respect for grammar, but it's interesting. Working in marketing and writing letters that are read by, you know, everyday people from across the country, I will say I value grammar personally, but— I'm not overly concerned with perfect grammar in my work. It's I think proofreading for an agency is pretty different than for like an academic textbook or something. Yeah. Because grammar's funny. Sometimes if you use whom instead of who, it's correct, but it's going to sound so weird yeah. to people's ears that they end up thinking more about that than whatever the question is we're asking. So everyone on my team is a grammar nerd, but we do hold back sometimes. And, you know, sometimes (laughs) the writers, too, the writers at BDI know correct grammar, and sometimes they'll have to comment on the side of their sentence. They'll say, proofreader, I know this isn't right, but just leave it. (laughs) It's it's the way I want to say it, and I think people will hear it correctly, and I think they're right. One of our old creative directors that used to work here would always give the example of Apple's old slogan. Actually, maybe it's their current. I don't even know. But think different. Okay. And technically, it should be think Think differently. differently. (laughs) But think different, you know, it sounds better. It makes you stop. Everybody knows what it means. You're not losing anything by the fact that it's not grammatically correct. But some of our nonprofits really care about grammar And this is something that I feel mixed feelings about. Our team can personally relate to really being fixated on grammar. Sometimes I think, oh my gosh, this person at this nonprofit must have been an English teacher in their last career. And I think some of them were. (laughs) But generally, if a client really cares about grammar, we will try to encourage them to just choose one or two things they really care about 
and we'll we'll honor those. Some of our clients will have like a dozen grammar mandatories. And by grammar, I'm talking about things like using or not using an Oxford comma or the length of a dash that you want to use or Mm -hmm. the spaces between ellipses. And as I've said, I can appreciate the arguments for or against these things. And at BDI, we really value consistency. But I don't necessarily recommend that a nonprofit focus on those things in their communication only because the vast majority of your donors aren't going to notice. Yeah. And not only is your agency spending time doing that, that's fine. You know, your agency is there to support you. But if your internal marketing team is spending time mm-hmm. doing that, if mm-hmm. before they post an Instagram post with a long caption, they need to, you know, be thinking about the grammar of it, it can just slow things down. Yeah. So we generally try to encourage missions to focus on the language and the overall tone of their messaging, not as much the grammar. Of course, with the caveat that we'll always have clients that care a lot about grammar and we will honor those requests for them. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) great. Okay, well, we're wrapping up here. This has been so interesting. I feel like I've learned so much today just about a lot of the things that I would never have even thought about Mm -hmm. that goes into the thought behind creating appeals and talking to donors. Is there anything before we close out that you would like to say? Any advice you'd like to give? Yeah, I think the last thing I'll say about mandatories is that they can evolve over time. They can change over time. And so I would just encourage nonprofits to be reevaluating how you want to communicate your services and yourself. Be reevaluating it every year or two or whenever you have a change in leadership or you open up a new program within your organization. Maybe you're getting feedback from your supporters that makes you want to communicate differently. Just know that these things can change over time, and I think that's good and healthy, and your agency is here to support you in that. Yeah, great. And if somebody is listening and they're like, we have no mandatories, and now they're thinking about where to start, what would your advice be for them? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would think about, maybe I would read through some of your most recent communications and try to picture is this the way we talk? Is this the way that our team talks to each other? Is this the way we talk to our clients? You know, it, it might not be important to them if, they're, if their marketing is exactly the way they talk. I think, yeah. I think there's an argument to be made that it's okay if your marketing isn't because it kind of serves a different purpose. But you do want your donors who become volunteers or who are former clients of the mission, you want them to see some consistency and tone across a real interaction with the mission and what they're mailing out or what they're posting on social media. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Okay. Before we let you go with every guest, we play a game. Okay. Um, Today, we're going to play, I'm calling it Keep or Delete. Oh, love it. So this is Keep or Delete Anna's version because everybody has different opinions about these grammar rules. But Keep or Delete, your version of these grammar rules. So I'm going to say a controversial grammar rule. Okay, love it. And then you can tell me if you think that it should be kept in copywriting for you or deleted. Love it. Okay, ready? Yes. All right, double negatives. Delete. (laughs) I don't even know what a double negative is. (laughs) 
It would be like I I don't not know what a double negative is. Oh, that means right. I know what a double. I mean, that was a really dumb example of one. <laughs> no, 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 no. I get. Yes. I don't not know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Next, irregardless. The word irregardless. Delete. Yeah, agreed. Ending sentences with prepositions. Mm, I want to say delete because I know it's correct to say delete, but I have to say sometimes I keep them because the rewording is awkward and it's not how people talk. So I'm going to say keep under certain circumstances. Okay. (laughs) Can you give us an example of that? You know, where I come across it most, I feel like, is in quotes. BDI will use a lot of testimonies in our appeals. And sometimes people speak with a preposition at the end. And if you change it, it kind of just makes them sound suddenly formal and it doesn't match the rest of their story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hanged versus hung. Oh my gosh. I actually don't know this one. Oh, hanged. I think I would say hung. 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 But okay. I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> no, this is your your rules. Oh yes, your... my personal <laughs> my personal mandatories. <laughs> Starting sentences with but. Interesting. Keep. BDI does this all the time. We also start sentences with and. We also have short fragment sentences. Yeah. And some of it is because it adds some drama mm. to sentences. It breaks things up in an interesting way. So I'm gonna say keep. Although we do have some clients who don't want us to do that, so we will always delete it for them. (laughs) Good. Passive voice. Delete. Punctuation inside quotation marks. So, like, if you're asking someone why and it had a question mark at the end, does the question mark go outside the quotes or inside the quotes? Definitely inside. I change this one all the time. I feel strongly about this. Okay. Great. Okay. Like as a conjunction. I, yes, I will use it. This is another one of those where I think people talk with imperfect grammar, including myself. And I think we're used to hearing like as a conjunction. Yeah. Who versus whom? I will pretty much always say who, unless it's so obviously wrong. I just think whom kind of takes the reader out of whatever you're actually trying to communicate. Yeah. I don't know anybody who says who. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Neither do I. Okay. Last one. I couldn't not add it. Oxford comma. <laughs> it's funny. Okay. Personally, I am actually pro Oxford comma, but as an agency, we decided long ago that we are no Oxford comma. We have about five to 10 clients that have us add it back in and man, this is a funny one. It's a beast. Sometimes we're adding in like 30 commas to a <laughs> to a newsletter and the designers are like wringing their hands at us. They're like, it's a comma. It doesn't matter. But yeah, BDI says no. And I'm at peace with that. Okay, great. Well, thank you for being here today and sharing with us. Super exciting to have you on. And yeah, felt like I learned so much. Of so course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll be releasing a new episode every other Monday. So don't forget to subscribe, share your podcast with your friends, your team, your grammar nerds, the specific episodes for them. If you want to learn more about us, visit our website at bdiagency.com or you can follow us 
on Facebook and LinkedIn at BDI Agency and Instagram at BDI.agency. See you next time.